it's less about you go handle that with a therapist. And it's more about how are we going to hold that together? Like your injury is also my injury because we're in this relationship together and let's address this together. And I think that psychedelic therapy for couples can really open up the perspective of holding it inside of the we together. Welcome to The Art of We, the podcast where we explore how committed partnerships can be potent vehicles for fully delivering our gifts to the world. Hi, I'm Krista Vanderveer, a seasoned consultant and executive coach. And I'm Dr. Will Vanderveer, a leader and educator in integrative mental health and wellness. As husband and wife and business partners, we keep learning that the key to maximizing our authenticity and impact in the world lies inside the health, security, and depth of our relationship. On this show, we'll pull back the curtains to share lessons, insights, and practices from our own marriage and professional careers that help us thrive. If you're a leader, founder, or overachiever, and you want to leverage your relationships for personal and collective growth, then you're in the right place. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am really excited about this episode. We're going to do something a little bit different today than our normal talking about how we do relationship or what our agreements are or what our vows are. Today, we're going to do something where I'm going to primarily be interviewing you, Will, because of the topic. So today's topic is about psychedelic therapy and specifically how it relates to couples. Now, for those of you who are listening, you may not know that a big majority of our businesses is focused around training therapists to do psychedelic-assisted therapy. And this really came through you, Will, around your background in psychedelics, your background in psychiatry and therapy, and the spark that got ignited many years ago, but then particularly when we were at this conference, before, like it was like six months after we met together, we got this conference and something just really lit up in your soul around creating a really big impact around healing. Do you want to add anything to that before we begin? Thanks. This is a different style for us. So maybe we should start with the fact that when I was coming up in my education and my training in medical school and residency, I was not someone who knew anything about psychedelics or was interested in psychedelics at all. That was in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I really didn't hear about MDMA as a treatment until I think it was 2012 and ended up getting involved in MDMA research. But I guess I just wanted to say that my first piece of background that I think is relevant here is that I'm not, I wasn't someone who went to Burning Man every year. I'm not a person who was experimenting with yeah, drugs and different kinds all of All about, yeah, exactly. And so when I first came across the idea of psychedelics as a therapy, I was very skeptical and and pretty conservative. And it turns out looking back at that time a little bit backwards in my thinking, but I was much more in this traditional, conventional mentality about psychedelics. You even thought that MDMA would put holes in someone's brain. Is that right? Yes. Well, (laughs) so there was this study that was put out by a researcher named George Ricarte, in the journal Nature. It was a big deal when it came out. It was a macaque monkey study of what MDMA does to your brain. And Ricarte actually published his results showing that there were holes in the brain of the monkeys who got MDMA. But what happened was he 
somehow mixed up the control group, which was the amphetamine group, with the MDMA group. Oh, so goodness. the results were actually incorrect. I didn't and know that. So, but the impact of the Ricarte paper, I'm a great example of the impact of that paper because I didn't read the retraction that came out months and months later saying, oops, we switched the bottles on the label. A huge or, mistake. Yeah. So lots of people in the medical establishment, like myself, heard about that study or read the study, and it further entrenched this negative perspective about what MDMA was and how it would impact people. So that's where I started the journey. And it was a huge revelation for me when I got involved with MAPS, and that's the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, and joined a team worked with an amazing group of people. And basically, they've used specifically MDMA in their studies. And you yes. became a physician, an on-site physician and therapist, is that right? Right, MDMA therapist and study physician, and really got to have a front row, well, not even front row, I was on the field playing with the team and delivering this treatment to about 30 people in a phase two study that we published in 2018, which... We could talk about the protocol. I don't know how far down the rabbit hole you want to get, but essentially the punchline is that the people in that study came in with an average, and it sounds outlandish, so I'm just going to say it twice, an average of 29 years of PTSD symptoms that they had had when they enrolled in the study, and more than two-thirds of them did not meet criteria for PTSD at the endpoint, and the results were even better at the one-year follow-up than at the two-year follow-up. So these are people who got MDMA therapy on three occasions and had deeply entrenched long-term problems that, you know, incredible results, incredible. And to add more context to this, you've been practicing psychiatry for a long time. The short version is you've been practicing. And to add a little more context to this, the short version is that you were practicing psychiatry for a very long time. You weren't seeing the results that you wanted to see with your patients. And coming back into psychiatry, here was another opportunity to try to actually see lasting results in patients around mental health and mental wellness. Is that correct? Yes. I started out, I've told this story before, so I'm going to keep it short here, but I started out very excited about psychiatry. I had some psychotherapy training. I had medications and I got pretty discouraged pretty quickly and ended up quitting psychiatry, coming back to it, learning integrative medicine, gut brain connection, inflammation, hormones, all the things, environmental toxicities and so forth, and had some success helping people get well with those tools. But there were still way too many people with underlying trauma who didn't get well using integrated medicine tools and somatic therapy to help them. So I've come to understand some of the deepest problems that people are dealing with, which are oftentimes trauma-based, simply will not respond to treatments that happen in ordinary consciousness. So from that perspective, I've become a huge proponent of this new phase in mental health care, where with the help of psychedelics, therapy can help people get to deeper layers of healing that 
frankly, I think is unavailable in ordinary consciousness. No matter how many decades of therapy, of talk therapy you do, in some cases you need psychedelic therapy to get there. Right. And we met in 2017 and in 2018 is when the business partnership with our business partners, Em and Keith, happened. And the two of you, primarily Keith and Will, have been in the day-to-day of creating an institute that now, as I mentioned earlier, has an integrated medicine track and also this psychedelic-assisted therapy track for therapists. So we feel fortunate that because of the skill and the passion and the quality that you all have created this these trainings, that it's serving a lot of people right now. And we're very excited about that. And I would love to hear what you feel is the future of psychedelics based on where we are in time in this moment and how many therapists now is the goal to become trained to actually be able to have an impact, you know, on a worldwide level where therapy can be as effective through psychedelics as we want it to be to heal as many people as possible. Well, we know that Conventional treatments for depression produce significant benefits in about one-third of the people who take them. So if you take an antidepressant for depression, your chances are 30 to 50% chance you're going to have a significant benefit. The chances of having a modest benefit are about 30%, and the chances of having zero benefits about 30%. So not great odds of getting very life-changing benefits from antidepressant medication. And We also have a lot of problems with ordinary psychotherapy. Barriers to entry from cost, takes too long, costs too much, and so forth. So, and then there's the other problem that I mentioned earlier, which is that ordinary states of consciousness don't necessarily allow us to get to the deepest level anyway, no matter how much you invest in that. So in the field of treatment of depression alone, we're looking at Currently, worldwide, about 350 million people have depression. Mm, so hard. Kind of hard to put your mind around that number. Yeah. One third of those people, even if they work their asses off in treatment, are not going to get a whole lot of benefit. Mm. So we're talking about more than 100 million people globally, even if they work hard, are not going to get the benefit that they deserve. Mm. Incredibly painful to acknowledge that. The good news is that and still, we're only talking about depression here. We're not talking about PTSD. We'll talk about that in a moment. But depression, when treated with psilocybin, let's say, for example, or ketamine-assisted therapy for depression, the research is showing that the response rates are much higher for these new treatments for depression. So there's reason to hope that new tools are emerging now with psychedelic therapy that could put a huge dent in the global disease burden of depression. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. And there's a lot of work to do because therapists who are used to working in ordinary stage of consciousness, like I was before I got recruited by MAPS to help with this clinical trial, need to learn new tools. And the tools are very, very different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's switch over to PTSD for a moment. The psychedelic therapy that seems to be emerging for PTSD is MDMA-assisted therapy. That treatment has undergone FDA-approved phase one and phase two trials and now has almost been completed in its phase three clinical trial. Very exciting. 
And the results that have been published so far in the phase three, phase three is the final stage that FDA will look at to decide if MDMA is going to be legalized as a therapy. Inside of clinics for therapy. Right. Inside Mm -hmm. of clinics, not as a... Partying tool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The phase three data is every bit as encouraging as the phase two data. It's actually pretty unusual in pharmacology research to see phase three do as well as phase two. That's a whole nother rabbit hole. But suffice to say that we're looking at We're on the brink of the possibility that FDA would approve MDMA therapy for PTSD. And if that happens, if the evidence is accurate that's been accumulated to this point in time, we're going to have a tool that's at least twice as effective as what we currently have for PTSD. And in America alone, we have about 10 million people with PTSD in any given year. And the treatments for PTSD are as ineffective, the currently approved treatments are as ineffective as the ones for depression. So these are very exciting times for therapists to be thinking about, do you want to be a part of this new approach Mm -hmm. to healthcare? Where, And I'll just say from my own experience as an MDMA therapist, being able to watch the healing, it's almost like watching healing happening in fast forward as a therapist the kind of healing that happens for someone with chronic trauma over a period of months rather than happening over a period of years. Right. It's so gratifying mm. to see people get well like that. Mm. That's so great. So when the Institute was started back in 2018, we didn't have the psychedelic therapy module yet. Right. Year-long training. But when you did start the year-long training, what was the goal at that point of how many therapists you wanted to train? And what is the desired number now? Well, when the leader and founder of MAPS, Rick Doblin, speaks about this, it seems like the number keeps increasing (laughs) in his mind, which makes sense. So initially the idea was, well, we need 20,000 MDMA assisted therapy people to provide this new treatment. Then it was 30, then it was 50. The last number I heard him say was 100,000. And I think the 100,000 is more than just in the US, but suffice to say that there's a lot of work to do here to get people trained. And as I mentioned before, the tool set is very, very different. So it's really important when someone's on a psychedelic in that very vulnerable state that the therapist knows what to do and what not to do. Yeah. So before we go to talking about couples specifically around psychedelics, I think it's important for us to, and this may be obvious already, to share that we're advocates of psychedelic therapy. It's a very, very, very different experience when you take psychedelics inside of a social or party experience the healing, the kind of contact, the possibility of what's possible mm-hmm. is totally and radically different right. when there's a therapist in the right. room. Right. Which is not to rain on anyone's parade if they like to do recreational psychedelics. Totally. But, but yeah, that's not what we're talking we're about. We're talking here. about healing and what's possible there. Right. And because we're so focused on the health of relationships, we understand that getting underneath the challenges and limitations that we can often bring to and play out in relationship is difficult. Yes, totally. Yeah. 
Even with good support, even with good therapy. Absolutely. So we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about how this relates to couples. Great. We hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a quick break to let you know about a gift we created for you and your partner. We compiled our top 10 relationship agreements, agreements that have been so powerful in supporting the success of our partnership that we even turned them into our wedding vows. These agreements help us stay connected, growing, and thriving as a couple, and they've been critical to help us create a kind of we that's way beyond what we've ever experienced before. You can download this free gift at kristavanderveer.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-V-A-N-D-E-R-V-E-E-R.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, it would be so meaningful to us if you left us a rating and review. Not only does it help others find us, but it gives us critical feedback on how we're doing. Thanks in advance. And now back to the episode. Okay, so this is fun. This little interview of you, Dr. Will. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about couples therapy, specifically with psychedelics. So if a couple is looking to address some things inside of their relationship, and they're considering psychedelic therapy, which as we're talking about, obviously, there's not a lot of therapists trained yet, MDMA isn't legal. But let's just fast forward to when it will be legal and when there will be therapists to support what kinds of things could be addressed inside of that couple session with the use of psychedelics? That's a great question. So I think I want to just rewind back to prior to 1985 for one moment and say that the people who were developing MDMA therapy in the 70s, Sasha Shulgin, Leo, Zaff, a bunch of inner circle therapists in the Bay Area, and then from there going beyond that, People were using MDMA to support couple therapy legally until MDMA got scheduled by DEA in 1985. So there's actually a wealth of information from the OGs of couple therapy from the 70s and early 80s that we already know about from their sharing their experiences. And we have one clinical trial by Candace Monson and Ann Wagner in Canada where they treated couples where one member of the couple had PTSD and the other one didn't, but both members of the couple got MDMA for the therapy session. And that went well, and people had relief from symptoms. Um, But what I think you're asking me about is, let's say, you know, the average everyday couple comes in Mm -hmm. and they're curious about what could be helped by, in their relationship, And maybe they don't have PTSD. Maybe they just are struggling in their relationship. Right. Although there could be someone, I mean, I think that most people have some level of trauma inside of their system about something. Right. Maybe little T trauma versus big T trauma. Right. So that could be a whole nother episode where we talk about the difference between PTSD and what you're saying, little T trauma. Which is more like... Something that impacted us and as a result is inhibiting something inside of us that we maybe want to accomplish or achieve or do or be inside of a relationship in a particular way. Is that correct? Absolutely. So basically, I believe, I'm not saying I'm accurate, I'm right about this because I'm not the trauma expert, but that there is a lowercase t trauma inside of everybody in some form that impacts many things and many of those things impact interpersonal relationship. 100%. So inside of a psychedelic therapy 
session with a couple, potentially some of that material could be addressed. Absolutely. These are the patterns that we are not aware of that operate automatically in the way that we relate to the world, the possibilities that we can see, Mm -hmm. the assumptions that we make about our partners. There's a thing called attachment style that we've talked about on this podcast before. Yeah. Which is related to the kind of adversity or the kind of impact or injuries that you had as a child. In relationship with your parents. In your, yeah, exactly. Primary relationships. Yes. So these kinds of injuries... And they might show up inside of a relationship like we keep wanting to get to a more skillful way of dealing with conflict, but something keeps coming up for one of us or both of us inside of conflict that keeps us from actually being to, being able to be more skillful. Yeah. I mean, here's an example that's really common is you have a misunderstanding with your partner and your tendency is to go into blaming them. Or maybe you're in the style of person who goes into blaming yourself whenever there's a conflict with your partner. These are really common patterns. I think almost anybody can relate to this, right? Right. So the automatic assumption that somebody is to blame is not actually necessary. And the possibility for resolving the conflict is much bigger when we don't automatically assume that somebody fucked us over. Right. Or we fucked ourselves over. Right. I would say also working through very challenging topics with each other. So imagine that there's a lot more spaciousness in a room for actually addressing whether it's resentments from the past or things that aren't totally cleared up, that those things can get talked through much easier. Absolutely. I think one way to talk about what we're saying right now is secure attachment. So If our assumption is that we're having a temporary misunderstanding in a bigger context of you have my back, I have your back, Mm -hmm. we're on the same team, Mm -hmm. we trust that the repair is going to happen, it'll be complete, it'll be full. Mm -hmm. That's such a different set of assumptions from, oh shit, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the end of our relationship. Right. The fact that we're having this rupture right now. Right. About who squeezed the toothpaste in the wrong place. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Or screw them. I'm going to hold this resentment in my system forever and I'm just going to move on my own way and, you know, we're going to live side by side, but I'm not going to address this again. Like, Mm -hmm. it's too freaking hard. Why even go there? You know? Right. Yeah. Another style, right? Another imprint from childhood of how we resolve problems is running away. Right. Now, from a mental health perspective, if one person is coming in, inside the relationship and they feel stuck, they feel not very inspired. The other person's like, we can't figure this out. Can something from your perspective like MDMA support an awakening inside of the session or sessions that can get them into a different space together? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And for some couples that could happen in ordinary therapy and couple therapy, but for other couples, the what we call ego defenses or the ways that we unconsciously but very deliberately refuse to know what the reasons are that we have resistance to intimacy prevent us from knowing what is underneath. Right. Yeah. So helpful. Yeah. Another situation that sometimes psychedelic therapy for a couple might help is when they're really stuck and they think that they maybe 
should break up or get divorced and they can't quite figure out if that's the right path for them. And there's a way that MDMA therapy brings forward insights and understandings from the depths of the unconscious mind that can really support that clarity. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is the most helpful or healing aspect of what a couple needs to do. For sure. I absolutely agree. I just want to wrap this up by saying that traditionally when one person in the couple has some issue or some trauma that needs to be healed, it's traditionally addressed as like, okay, you go there to that thing, whether it's a therapist or whatever the thing is, and you go work on that yourself. And how you and I will like to hold parts of us or different kinds of impacts that have happened when we were younger that are impacting our relationship now. It's less about you go handle that with a therapist. And it's more about how are we going to hold that together? Like your injury is also my injury because we're in this relationship together and let's address this together. And I think that psychedelic therapy for couples can really open up the perspective of holding it inside of the we together much more than the traditional way of doing therapy. I couldn't agree more. For years, I treated people with trauma individually. And then I started learning about interpersonal neurobiology and the work of Stan Tacken, who we know and love and have talked a lot <laughs> about on this podcast almost every episode. And I had a Stan Tacken trained therapist ask me one time, she was treating the couple, I was treating the individual with trauma. Why don't you have the partner in the room while you heal the trauma with this person? Mm. And I thought, holy shit, I've been missing a huge piece here. And I might even be what Stan Tacken would call an unmanaged third. In other words, the person is telling me all of their gnarly trauma and working through it with me, but the partner at home is not privy to this process at all. Right. And so it really shifted my perspective. Mm -hmm. And so for the past six or seven years, I've really stood much more for what the view is that you're talking about. And I also agree with your point that conventional couple therapy only focuses on the quality of the connection between the two people versus what we're talking about here is a richer, more nuanced commitment that each individual in the couple has to each other's injuries. Right. So that individual, whether it's big T or little t trauma, can be healed inside of a couple therapy session with or without psychedelics, with the other member of the partnership supporting and encouraging and holding and being with and the whole process. And taking responsibility also for the healing. Yes. So it's not just the one person's responsibility. Exactly. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so one more question for you, Dr. Vanderveer. What would you invite people to take away or to practice after listening to this session since psychedelics, or specifically MDMA, is not legal in clinical use yet? Right. The only psychedelic therapy available right now is ketamine-assisted therapy, and we provide a lot of that at our clinic here in Colorado. It's available all over the world, even, at this point. But... I think that the place 
that I feel inspired to challenge people right now is to look at this piece we were just talking about at the end of the episode of if you're in a partnership, looking at the ways that you might be subtly or not so subtly messaging your partner with the story that their injuries are for them to fix and for them to hold alone. Right. And that your own injuries and your own issues or anxieties or whatever problems are yours to hold and heal alone. Right. You may have some conversation about it, but it's really where is the commitment in your hearts coming from around that? Right. It's a great idea. And we're inviting you to do this because there is such a bigger, we feel such a bigger resource available when you and your partner are both together holding each other's and your own injuries together. Exactly. It's super powerful. Yeah. And I'm so grateful to be in this with you, Will, because we get to do that together. And I'm so grateful for all of you who have joined us today and who are listening. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. If you found this content valuable, please follow this show and share it with your partner or other key collaborators. If this show has sparked an interesting conversation based on these topics, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Art of We Podcast. And we'll see you next time when we explore what it means to be better together, like butter and toast on the Art of We.